We're in the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander what they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, and as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed from prophet into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love's feasts, eating with you without a slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up with their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been forever reserved. Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousand upon thousand of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and present you before his glorious present without fault and with great joy. To our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. This is God's word. Uh, evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Let me uh, pray and we'll look, at, um, we'll look at Jude again together. Hey, great God and Father, thank you that you care so deeply for us. You are God who gives us the comfort, the assurance of your love, and we need that. You're a God who demonstrates his love by warning us at times of dangers, and we need that. Father, help us to heed the warning rightly in our passage tonight so that we respond with determination to stand up for what is true, what is right, because the glorious message of salvation is too wonderful to allow it to slip away. Father, strengthen us again this evening so we'll stand up for Jesus, we pray, in his name. Amen. Over Christmas, um, or just after Christmas, actually, I was here at Christmas, um, but I just after Christmas had a few days down with uh, in-laws, uh, they're down in Devon, and uh, on the local news spotlight, um, uh, there was some article, you know, was, I was vaguely watching it, uh, chopping something in the kitchen, it was vaguely on, and uh, there was an article about uh, surfers, a lot of good surfing, obviously down there, and uh, the surfers, the SAS, Surfers Against Sewage, there was some protest they were putting on, and uh, one of them was being interviewed about, you know, the, the sewage companies, once again, water companies releasing sewage into the sea, and uh, this guy, you know, was chatting, and he, you know, I mean, I think they'd gone for obviously the cliche surfer. Yeah, man, it's terrible, man. Um, they'd found like the the model, you know, this is what a surfer is meant to look and sound like, uh, with very long bleached hair, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so it's terrible. This releasing the sewage is terrible. Uh, anyway, anyway, they'd been placarding and, and protesting outside the council offices. Um, I don't know why the council offices, but anyway, they were, anyway, man, I got to go. I don't, he didn't have an American accent. That's wrong. That is not true. <laughs> that is my projection. That is not true. He had, a, he had a West Country accent, didn't he? Um, something, anyway, he was, probably wasn't that either. But he, was, he looked the part, he looked the part. He spoke very sensibly. Um, whatever accent he had, um, Welsh, Irish, Scottish, whatever it was, I can't remember. Uh, but he said, anyway, uh, uh, nice chatting to you. Thanks for covering, uh, but I've got to go now. Got to go surf. And um, off he went. And you look at this guy and you think, yeah, of course. You know, you're not a natural politician. You don't look like the sort of guy who gets involved in lots of street protests. You want to be surfing. Obviously, he was the sort of guy who, I mean, I need, only needed to look at him to see that he, his desire was to be out there shredding the gnar. <laughs> that is not a phrase I use often. Um, but why was he there protesting? Why was he there holding his placard, surfers against sewage, it's not what he wants to be doing. Wants to be in the sea. Why is he doing this dull protest, protest um, in the middle of the town centre? Because he loves surfing. That's why he's protesting. Because he wants to protect the thing he loves. He, he wants the seas to be sewage free. And thinks to himself, 
unless I get involved in this protest, which is a bit dull, and it's not what I want to be doing. But unless I do this, I lose that. So I've got to do this, placard, protest, in order to keep going with the thing that I love. That is somewhat of the tone of this letter to Jude. So Jude says, and we, we looked at this last time, uh, in uh, verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to be doing, talking about the salvation we share. That's fantastic. He says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. I want to be out there telling you about salvation, but what I've got to do is tell you to contend. Because unless you contend, you lose it. Because the message will get, well, he tells us what's happening on, it's happening in verse 4. The message is being perverted, distorted, corrupted. Verse 4, certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who... They pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. That's the issue. We have to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, we'll see a little later on. That is a timeless command. That is something that God's people have to do in each and every generation and setting. Because different sorts of false teaching and corruptions will come along. It'll be different in different manif- at different times. However, we said last time, at the moment, a presenting issue for uh, this nation, for the Church of England, of which uh, in some senses we're a part, is they're trying to distort the doctrine of marriage. They're trying to redefine what is sexual immorality, what is beyond the bounds of legitimate sexual behavior. That's what's going on at the moment. So the the Bible, the New Testament is super, super clear that sexual immorality, that is any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, sexual immorality, it is sin. And you had public statements last week from the bishops in the Church of England saying it's not. And I wonder if you see how serious that is. In Jesus' words, so everyone's on one of two paths. There's a narrow path that leads to salvation. There's a very broad path that leads you to hell. And bishops are now saying to people walking this path, you're fine, it's fine, it's fine, no problem. That's wicked. And so for three weeks, we're looking at this book of Jude. There's a sense in which we're putting away our surfboard and saying we can't do the thing we'd really love to do. We just got to think hard for three weeks before we get back in the sea and do what we love because we need to protect what we love. We need to learn to contend for the faith. We need to be stiffened in our resolve to contend for the faith so that we can enjoy it. Last time then we looked at verses 1 to 4 and and verses 3 and 4 in particular, they're the the thesis of the letter, the the, the argument that he's going to develop. 
Our passage tonight, really 5 to 16, picks up on three of the things he says in verse 4. He talks about the, the false teachers or scoffers is really how he describes them. And uh, we're told certain individuals, one, their condemnation was written about long ago. They are two, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And three, they deny Jesus Christ as our sovereign and Lord. And then he picks up on those three in, in really 5 to 16. Their condemnation is certain. They've rejected the authority of Jesus and they're pursuing sexual immorality. Really, those are the three that he picks up on and uh, develops. And gives us lots and lots of examples, in particular from the Old Testament. And the purpose is, the purpose of this long section 5 to 16, where it's like loads of examples from the Old Testament, some of them are obscure, is to, is to put a bit of courage in our backbones, to give us some strength, some willingness to contend, See, Jude, in this letter, Jude isn't writing to people who don't know what the Bible teaches. He's writing to those who may not fight for it. And look, look I know there'd be a variety of people in the room tonight, but I, I'm pretty certain the majority of people here tonight would call themselves Christians, and you do know what the Bible teaches about sex. That it's for within marriage of a man and a woman. I think most people know that. I'm not sure most people would contend for that in the church. It's not talking about in wider culture, it's talking about in the church, in the letter of Jude. And that's an issue, says Jude. And so I want to put a bit of strength in your backbones, he says. You've got to fight for this. It really matters. So tricky verses, 5 to 16. There's some complicated things. But um, let me make it a bit easier for you. Uh, Jude loves threes. So quite often he, he loves, he's, 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 the, he's the, uh, the sort of originator, the three-point sermon. And, um, uh, and then he often has a trio and then applies it. So if you lose track of the detail, whenever he talks about these people, so we'll give a load of Old Testament examples. That's this and this and this. These people, he's turning to the false teachers of his day. Okay, so you get Old Testament example, and then he applies it, these people. Old Testament examples, then he applies it, these people. That'll keep us on track as we work our way through it. But in honor of Jude, and not because I'd like it, I'm giving you three points. Okay, so we'll work through it like this. These people, these scoffers, these false teachers... They do a few things. They reject authority and pursue sexual immorality, 5 to 10. They pursue ungodliness for gain, 11 to 16. But the drumbeat beneath it all is this, that their condemnation is certain. He describes it in different ways. Let's work through, okay? First then, these people, they reject authority and pursue sexual immorality. Verse 5, three examples, three examples. And all of them here that he gives in this section, they're all privileged groups in the Old Testament who end up in trouble. Privileged groups who abandon, reject authority, and pursue sexual immorality. That's the, the, what, what uh, links them. So first, verse 5, the Exodus generation. Though you already know all this, um, I look up. I know you know, 
I know you know what the Bible teaches. I know that. But will you fight for it? Verse 5. You already know this. I want you to remind I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Wow. I mean, the Exodus generation, extraordinary. The, you know, there they are, and uh, you get the, 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 the plagues, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and the people come out, and it's extraordinary, miraculous provision in the wilderness. Oh, I'm hungry, Lord. Here's some food raining from heaven. Oh, that's quite good. Um, what about in the mornings? Oh, there it is, just uh, outside your tent, um, a la carte. Not quite. Um, but um, amazing, amazing. God's extraordinary provision. And then they rebel. I think given the emphasis here, uh, how it flows, but the, 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 the later destruction, those who didn't believe, um, most agree. He, he's probably referring, I've scribbled it on the sheet there, into Numbers 25, a situation at Baal Pure, you can read it later on, um, where God's people, there's sort of uh, sexual immorality on a national scale. There's a, thousands of guys visiting the, uh, these prostitutes at this uh, uh, shrine and uh, going for mass sexual immorality. And so God sends a plague and kills thousands. Oh. Yeah. Oh. The point being, don't presume upon his grace. You reject the Lord's authority and indulge in sex outside marriage. Well, there was a group there that were destroyed. Don't say the grace of God allows me to do whatever I want. You can be forgiven anything if there's repentance, but you cannot carry on in a pattern without repentance and expect to escape destruction, verse 5. Another example of the angels. Uh, what's all this about? Uh, Genesis 6, verse 6. The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he's kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Golly. Uh, you read in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, the angels or, or, or the sons of God, depends how you translate the thing, but um, they were told that they saw the daughters of humans and uh, married them and had sex with them. And you, whoa, yeah, yeah. Have, you, have you ever read that bit of Genesis? No? Um, uh, it's extraordinary. Angels come down. It's, it's the point they've crossed a boundary there. They shouldn't have crossed that boundary. And judgment comes. We're told in a similar way, I think crossing a boundary, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual morality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Ooh. Just as angels crossed a boundary by having sex with humans, read in, in the, the, the account, particularly Genesis 19, uh, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah crossed a boundary by having sexual intercourse with other men. That's the immorality in view. Now, I don't want to lose our thread in Jude and give a sermon on sex and, and sexual immorality. But just to observe at this point, some of the, the newspapers at the moment will cover stuff that's going on, the debates in, in the Church of England, and say, oh, but there are some weird people 
me, you, some weird people who, who, who think that sex is only for within marriage and a, and a man and a woman and they're weirdos. And, and they refer to some, there's some little verse in Leviticus or something which, which says such a thing. Um, but, um, but no one really believes that anymore. And that's how it'll get reported. Can I just say again, from Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning of the Bible, Revelation 21 at the end, Bride and groom represent Jesus and his church. And that is a thread that runs throughout the whole of the scriptures. It's not just, oh, there's one or two obscure little references. Okay, there are some places in the Bible where it's super, super, super clear. Most of the time, that's just stated and assumed. God, Jesus, is a groom. The church is the bride. You cannot distort that. You cannot change that and be left with salvation. You can't. But three examples then, if they've rejected their natural position, they've rejected God's authority, they've committed sexual immorality, the application is verse four. In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these people, these ungodly people, the false teachers, it's interesting, isn't it? On the strength of their dreams. But God is saying to me, I can do what I want. God is saying to me, you must do whatever makes you happy. God is just, I, mean, I know you know this if you've been here any time. But sometimes it's very simple. Will you trust God in his word or will you say, I know better? What is the authority in your life? Sometimes it's really simple. God says, yeah, but... I have, you know, in my own thinking, it's, and it's timeless. It's a timeless problem. I mean, it was just one little, refer I, I don't know, it just jumped out at me, Jeremiah 23, uh, I think it was reading the other day, and um, golly, how timely or timeless. This is what the Lord Almighty says, do not listen to the prophets, well, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you'll have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they'll say no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? There will always be those who say, oh, do what you want. It's fine. God will forgive. But they're not listening to the word of God. They're not listening to the word of the Lord. Don't listen to them. Don't do that. What do they do on the strength of their dreams? Well, these ungodly people, they pollute their own bodies. Secondly, they reject authority. And third, they heap abuse on celestial beings. They just have no regard for authority at all. Then we get the very obvious statement, verse 9. Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And you all know that story because, woo, um, this is a quirky bit of the book, it's fair to say. Jude is, um, he's quoting from a book that everyone at the time would have known. It's uh, the Testimony of Moses, which um, is not in the Bible, but uh, in, in um, Deuteron at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and God 
buries him. We're not told how God buries him, but the people don't bury him. And then someone's written this book called The Testimony of Moses. It's like, oh, yeah, the Archangel Michael, he came down and he buried Moses. And while he was doing it, the devil came and sort of mocked him and said, what are you doing? And, and Michael just ignored the devil. And now, we don't have that book. None of us have read that book. And you might think, why is Jude quoting that book? I think he's just giving like a sermon illustration um, that everyone at the time would have known. I think that's what's going on. I might say to you, um, you know, rejecting authority is a bit like in Harry Potter when, um, I don't know what, um, Draco Malfoy is rude to Dumbledore and he goes, oh yeah, Harry Potter, and everyone's read that or watched a film and we all know it. And yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing, I guess. I mean, elsewhere, Paul would refer to... Um, it went in Athens to say, oh, look, I see your philosophers say, and quote a philosopher, and they all go, yeah. Or to Titus, I see your poets say, oh, yeah, that's right, our poets say that. So it's not, I think it's that sort of thing. We don't need the testimony of Moses. That's not what's going on here. But anyway, that's the point. Even, even Michael, in that story you all know about, didn't rebuke Satan because that's God's job. These people, verse 10, the, we're now about to the application. These people, these false teachers, they slander anything. They slander whatever they do not understand. The very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Again, do you see? Instinct. We're going to follow our instincts, not what God says. Instinct. And that point, it's entirely contemporary. Yeah, so in one sense, the presenting issue at the moment in the Church of England is what happens to same-sex marriage. But it's not really that. It's about, do we trust the Bible or do we think we know better? That's the question. So look at the difference between, dare I say, Jude and the letter that was published by bishops of the Church of England last week. So Jude can say, verse 3, contend for the faith once for all entrusted to God's holy people. God gave the truth once and forever. This letter came out uh, last week. And um, they say what we want in teaching on sexual ethics is that it's founded in scripture, in reason, in tradition, in theology, in the Christian faith as the church of God has received it, based on good and healthy flourishing relationships and in a proper 21st century understanding of being human and of being sexual. So you see, the Bible is there, along with like a dozen other things. Um, what is a proper 21st century understanding of being human? Are we all agreed on that? As you watch the news, is everyone agreed on what it means to be a man and a woman? Is everyone agreed? That's going to be your authority? Are you going to follow Nicola Sturgeon on it? Or Keir Starmer? Because they disagree. Who are you going to follow? What does it mean to allow a 21st century understanding of being human to drive your doctrine? What does that even mean? It means we do what we instinctively think feels right. See, no, 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 the Bible is our authority, and we determine what is true because of that. 
but Bible's there and whatever people in the street are saying. And, um, you know, my, my aunt's cousin, she said to me the other day, and where's authority? It's all, it's a mess. In the end, it's quite simple. And in sexual ethics, it's quite simple. Will you listen to the authority of Jesus in the Bible or will you follow your own instincts? Now that is a question for all of us. Heterosexual, homosexual, inclined, married, single. That is a question for all of us. Will you follow the authority of Jesus in the scriptures or just your own instincts? And Jude says, just to follow your own instincts and reject the scriptures. Well, unless there's repentance, that's the path of destruction. They reject authority and pursue sexual immorality. Should we have a bit more? I know. It's full on, isn't it? Secondly, they pursue ungodliness for gain. Verses uh, 11 to 16. Again, three examples. I'm not going to work through these. Um, we haven't really got the time. But uh, verse 11. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. What's that? Cain, who killed his brother because he was jealous. He wanted to usurp his position. They've, followed, they've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Balaam was overcome by greed and so led the Israelites to sin. Again, Numbers 22, 23, you can read about that. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. What's all that about? Number 16, you can read that. Uh, Korah got fed up with Moses. Don't like Moses. Don't like Moses and his leadership. And I've got 250 other guys with me who say, we don't like you. And um, we should be in charge. We'd do a better job than you. In fact, I want to be in charge, not you. And uh, it's extraordinary. <laughs> okay, extraordinary. Moses says, well, I've spoken to God. And here's what I say to you. Um, the 250 guys, if they just sort of nothing happens to them and they all die a natural death, well, obviously you should follow them. But if, as just may happen, um, the ground opens up and 250 are swallowed, then you know that they're all lying and you should follow me. And you go, well, that's quite an unusual sort of doubling down on a position. And of course, the ground opens up and swallows the 250 and closes them up. And uh, the people say, oh, Three examples of people who were going for gain, not just financial gain, like in Balaam's case, but gain of leadership, gain of popularity, gain of influence here. The application is verse 12. These people, these false teachers, they are blemishes at your love feasts. What? Um, love feasts, meal you share together as a church. 1 Corinthians 11, they're sharing, they're having a meal together blemishes or hidden reefs you could translate it that is there's danger there's danger when you come together and you just think we're having a nice time of fellowship there's danger here uh what else are they they're shepherds who feed only themselves they don't care about anyone else they're clouds without rain brilliant no not in israel not in the middle east you need rain in a dry land they're trees without fruit useless they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. That's all they bring to the shore, shame. They're wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Again, in a culture, how do you navigate anywhere? By the stars. And if they're all moving, 
you have no idea where you're going. Or even worse, you think you're going to, I don't know, Jericho, and you're heading in the wrong direction. That's what these false teachers are like. They say, oh, follow us. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's like you sat nav going bonkers on your phone. You're heading completely the wrong direction. Dangerous to follow them. And so he concludes, well, Enoch, verse 14. Oh, we'll look at the, again, look at their judgment. Black is darkness reserved forever. Then verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves. They flatter others for their own advantage. Golly. Pause. Could you see why we're looking at this little letter? If nothing else, it, my plea to you would be don't be naive. Not every church you go into is healthy for you. If someone moved from here, you know, at some point in the summer in particular, think hard, listen carefully to what is and what isn't being taught in a church. Because here, false teaching, perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality, it's dangerous. It leads people to hell. I've got to be honest with you, just speaking personally. Look, uh, earlier in the month, at the start of January, I gave these sermons in the morning. I thought it was important for the whole church. Very unusual to do the same thing. But I gave these sermons uh, in the morning. And uh, now we're into Isaiah. Glorious, lovely Isaiah. Again, I thought this morning... I love Isaiah. It's magnificent. It's encouraging. God is big. His words of comfort. I do not personally love the book of Jude. If I'm honest with you guys, I don't want to preach the book of Jude. Although, of course, Jude didn't want to write the letter of Jude. So I think I'm on reasonable ground. But it's here. Look, don't be naive. It's been striking, the, the, the series did in the morning and even some last week here in the evening. Um, people saying, oof, yeah, a bit full on, isn't it? Um, I never heard anything remotely like that in my old church. They just wouldn't touch anything as contentious as that publicly. Now, maybe you weren't there very long, I don't know. I can't speak. You know, again, someone said to me um, last week in the evening, why do we do these things publicly in front? There are loads of churches in central London that, you know, they're evangelical churches, but they never talk about this sort of stuff. Can I say, and I don't know, I know it's not my job to, ask motor, uh, to investigate motors. To... Failure to talk about this is a failure to love people. Do you see that when we read this letter of Jude? I told you last week, before Christmas, we asked um, 
some here in the congregations who are same-sex attracted, what, what they wanted to say to the Bishop of London um, about possible changes that look likely now. I read you some last time. Let me read you another one from someone who, who, who do, is in our church family. I would say they're same-sex attracted. I expect the world to think I'm crazy. Most of the time it feels crazy to me too. That's why I need my church family to tell me it's not. To tell me that God is good, that he loves me, that Jesus is enough, that he really is worth it if I pursue a life of celibacy. I don't need the Church of England to undermine the battle in my heart. I need them to give me the strength to keep fighting it. I'll need people to hold me, to cry with me, to pray for me, to pick me back up when I can't do that for myself. When I walk into church, I need to be shown what it means to be truly loved by God and by his people. And I need the church to love me like this. I need the national church to love me like this, not to undermine my pain and confusion and fear by giving me false acceptance but to love God and love me enough to stand with me when it hurts and show me what it means to find true satisfaction in my Saviour. Now next week we think a little more practically what it means for you and me to stand. But do you start to see one thing it must mean? In a church setting, you must not be silent on this issue. If you are silent on this issue, if you say nothing on this issue, you are abandoning a number of our church family to be dragged off by the culture. Do you understand? A failure to teach on these things, a failure to stand on these things, a failure amongst ourselves to be clear on these things is a failure to love. And we mustn't do that. the false teachers, they reject authority, they pursue sexual immorality, they pursue ungodliness again, very briefly, their condemnation is certain. Golly, do you see the pictures as they stack up? Verse 6, the angels bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Sodom and Gomorrah, an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 10, these people will be destroyed. Verse 13, Blackest darkness has been reserved forever for them. Verse 15, Jesus is coming to judge and convict with thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Golly. See, Jude really stacks up the pictures here of how terrible it will be for those who fail to teach the truth and lead others into immorality. Why does he stack up so many miserable, graphic pictures? Because he wants to put strength in the backbone of you and me to say this really matters. This really matters. Again, I don't think Jude is concerned that these people believe the wrong truths. He's concerned that they won't stand up for them. That's the issue. 
number of us were at a helpful meeting on Monday night on this particular issue. Um, what are the churches in London, the evangelical churches, going to do, uh, given the position of uh, the Bishop of London? It was a helpful meeting. Uh, a, a number of the PCC are able to come. It was good. Um, uh, the evening began very briefly. Someone opened the Bible, Revelation chapters 1 and 2. You can turn over a page, actually, to Revelation chapter 1. Why not tonight? Revelation 1 and 2. Jesus rebukes the church at Pergamum. Why? Chapter 2, because they tolerate sexual immorality and says you need to repent, not of doing it, but of tolerating it. You've got to repent of tolerating this amongst you. And you think, okay. But you only get to chapter 2 in these letters after chapter 1, which is this extraordinary picture of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Let me just give you a couple of verses. Verse 5, Jesus Christ, Revelation 1. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming on the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who, excuse me, who is, who was, who was to come, the Almighty. That's the Lord Jesus. And standing up for what is true is hard and we don't want to do it and it's annoying and it's painful and we'd rather talk about the glories of salvation. We'd rather shred the gnar in the sea, not stand with our placards. I know, I know, I know. But this is the one we honor. This is the one who's coming back. And in the end, you and I answer to him. (laughs) Did you help my children? Did you help those who are vulnerable amongst you at their time of greatest need? Or were you just quiet because it was more convenient for you? That's what Jude is asking us. If we declare our love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand up with him, We stand up for what he says. We protect his children by making sure we stand with them in the truths that are most contested in our day. Can we talk next week about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we going to get on and say, I know the wonders of salvation. I know. I know. But brothers and sisters, we have to contend for the faith delivered into our hands once for all, and we have to contend in our generation. Jesus asks us, no. Jesus commands us. Love compels us. We have to stand and contend. Let's pray together. Father, again, we say you are a good God. You're a perfect Father who tells us what we need to know, who shapes us the way we need to be molded and shaped for life in this world. And all we need to know that you're good and that you love us, and you tell us that recurrently throughout the pages of Scripture. At times we need to be warned that there are false teachers that we need to beware of. At times we need to be poked and prompted that we all have a role in standing up to them, in contending 
for the truth. And Father, the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel are so wonderful and glorious. Would we contend for them? So many others can enjoy and share in the joy of knowing him and salvation through him. Would we do so knowing that he will return and judgment is real? So, Father, would we love people by standing up for the truth? We do ask in his name and the strength that only he can give. Amen.